Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. Well, the Supreme Court did it in various ways today. My gosh, take all these Supreme Court decisions this month. You get the best Pride Month ever. We'll get into them. But first, a history lesson, please. Let's dive into history. It's Asculum, the plains of Italy. It is 279 B.C., well before Caesar's even born. There is no Roman Empire and there are no Roman legions. There are the armies of the Roman Republic, and they're still a force. They have not yet developed the Roman legionary tactics and weaponry, but they're still pretty powerful. They haven't developed yet the phalanx maneuvers and the like, but they're getting there. And what sets them apart tends to be overwhelming force. And so they meet a king, Pyrrhus of Epirus. Yep, that's his name, Pyrrhus of Epirus. He is king of Epirus, and he's motivated to stop the Roman Republican armies surging down the Italian peninsula, taking territory. And he, Epirus, is in league with Sicily and the Carthaginians and others to stamp out what they see as a growing Roman threat. And so they meet on the plains of Asculum, and Epirus knows the Roman armies, like overwhelming force, that's, that's how they do it. And so Pyrrhus brings all of his troops to bear on the plains of Asculum, and he beats the Roman legions, well, the Roman armies, wiped them from the plains of Asculum. It's a major military victory against a Roman army many thought was becoming unstoppable. Pyrrhus, after the Battle of Asculum, commented, if I achieve such a victory again, I shall return to Epirus without any soldiers because there was a massive, massive death toll on the plains of Asculum. In fact, though Pyrrhus won, he lost so many key generals and so many troops against the Romans, he wound up having to withdraw against the Romans. Why? Because the Romans had reserves, and Epirus, or Pyrrhus of Epirus, had none. He had no reserves. He won and had to withdraw, and all of his territorial gains wound up being taken back by the Romans, and then his entire territory eventually taken by the Romans, because in beating the Romans on the plains of Asculum, Pyrrhus of Epirus lost. To this day, we commemorate what happened with the phrase Pyrrhic victory. Pyrrhic victory. It's a victory that because you win, you lose. Today in the United States Supreme Court, Joe Biden became Pyrrhus of Epirus. He got his Pyrrhic victory. In the case Biden versus Texas, 
The Supreme Court handed Joe Biden the one big win of the Biden administration this year in the Supreme Court. In this case, Joe Biden argued that a federal judge in Texas was wrong, that the judge in Texas should not have allowed uh, an injunction to go forward on Title 42. If you will recall, at the beginning of the pandemic, Donald Trump put in place an executive order based on Title 42. That's a health care power. And through the Surgeon General, Donald Trump said, hey, if you're coming into this country illegally at the southern border, you've got to stay in Mexico until we can process your claims due to a health care emergency. The Biden administration intended to get rid of Title 42 and the return to Mexico policy. A federal district judge in Texas said, not so fast, Joe. He really had no basis for doing so. He just didn't want to give Biden the win. He's a Trump-appointed judge. The Biden administration fought all the way to the Supreme Court. Behind the scenes, the Biden administration presumed the Supreme Court would not give him a win. This was an open secret in Washington. The Biden administration didn't really want to win the case. The Biden administration assumed what would happen is the Supreme Court would side with the judge in Texas, and the Biden administration could legitimately tell his progressive base, I'm sorry, guys, I couldn't undo this Trump thing. I tried, but the Supreme Court wouldn't let me. (laughs) Instead, the Supreme Court said, hey, Joe, we're with you. It was Roberts and Kavanaugh joining the three libs. It was a 5-4 decision. Kavanaugh pretty much made it clear in the concurrence they knew they're sticking it to Joe Biden. He knew he was sticking it to Joe Biden at least. Um, Yeah, this is Joe Biden's fear of victory. Now the Republicans can legitimately run campaign ads saying Joe Biden fought all the way to the Supreme Court for the right for illegal aliens to flood the border with no containment. I mean, even Kavanaugh said the right solution here is to expand the Department of Homeland Security's funding for detainment facilities, but the court can't order that because that's legislating. Uh, and so he, he the, the, there's nothing in the law that allows the Supreme Court to do this, but it's what Congress should do. And um, that's largely hinting that the Biden administration can't do it. Congress has to do it. So the Supreme Court. Now, the libs, the libs were all in on giving this to to Biden. But if you read John Roberts wrote the opinion, if you read Roberts, if you read the Kavanaugh concurrence, you know, they know what they're doing, giving Joe Biden exactly what he wanted which was actually the thing Joe Biden desperately hoped the Supreme Court would not give him. The one win he was really hoping the Supreme Court would not give him, they gave him. And now, guess what? We got a humanitarian crisis at the border. The border is being overrun, and and you know what they're doing? They're blaming the Republicans. Of course, they're blaming the Republicans. Uh, Kamala Harris, of course, has opened her mouth and gre- blamed Greg Abbott in Texas for exploiting the humanitarian tragedy at the border, particularly the deaths of the uh, illegal immigrants at the southern border. It really highlights part of the problem. 
because his response where there are 50 dead bodies in his state is to go straight to politics instead of dealing with the realities of the issue. We also need to take seriously the fact that we have a broken immigration system that was decimated by the last administration and we've been trying to, and we are on the path doing it, to fix that broken system. Uh, one more, Julian Castro. The Biden administration has pushed forward to try and repeal Title 42. That's being held up by courts, but now they can go through the administrative procedures to undo Title 42. That's important because that's causing immense uh, desperation, more desperation than usual, and people taking more risks, like getting into this kind of uh, 18-wheeler with a uh, hundred other people and risking death in this way. Uh, um, this, this is this. He really, truly, genuinely did not want this victory from the Supreme Court. He did not want it. But he got it. You know, uh, last week, the left was like, oh, well, I mean, uh, the, the pro-lifers, they're like the dog that caught the car. They're not going to know what to do with it. And now this week, the Biden administration is in that position. Let me read you some of the dissent from Sam Alito, Justice Alito. You know, I had a lady email me last week because I kept referring to Clarence Thomas as Clarence Thomas instead of Justice Thomas. She suggested it was latent racism that I was referring to him as Clarence Thomas instead of uh, Justice. Actually, you know, my habit is when someone writes an opinion of the court, I call them by their name, not Justice, and refer to the others as Justice. Always have done that, but also Clarence is a friend. Um, it's really hard to call Clarence uh, Justice, but I'll get into the habit lest anyone think I'm a latent racist. I was just shocked by, I mean, this this is uh, the oversensitivities of some people. In any event, uh, Sam Alito, or I'm sorry, Justice Alito, lest anyone think I'm anti-Italian or something, in fiscal year 2021, the Border Patrol reported more than 1.7 million encounters with aliens along the Mexican border. When it appears that one of these aliens is not admissible, may the government simply release the alien in this country and hope the alien will show up for the hearing at which his or her entitlement uh, to remain will be decided? Congress has provided a clear answer to that question. The answer is no. By law, if an alien is not clearly and beyond a doubt entitled to be admitted, the alien shall be detained for a removal proceeding. And if an alien asserts a credible fear of persecution, he or she shall be detained for further consideration. Congress offered the executive two and only two alternatives. First, if an alien is arriving on land from a foreign territory contiguous to the United States, Homeland Security may return the alien to that territory. Second, Homeland Security may release individual aliens on parole, but only on a case-by-case -case basis for urgent humanitarian reasons or a significant public benefit. Due, the huge, due to the huge numbers of aliens who attempt to enter illegally from Mexico, Homeland Security does not have the capacity to detain all inadmissible aliens encountered at the border. No one suggests Homeland Security must do the impossible. But rather than avail itself of Congress's clear statutory alternative to return aliens to Mexico, Homeland Security has concluded it may forego that option altogether and instead simply release into this country untold numbers of aliens who are very likely to be removed if they show up for their removal hearings. The practice violates the clear terms of the law, but this court has chosen to look the other way. 
Now, you will note it, it's Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch here, not Barrett. Barrett says she actually agrees uh, with the merits of the majority's logic but disagrees with their outcome, uh, given what Alito writes. Um, it, 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 it's, it's a somewhat complex decision, but then Kavanaugh points out very helpfully that given the way Title 42 and the Trump policy came about through the executive powers, uh, one executive can undo what a prior executive did as long as they follow proper procedure. Contrasting this with how Trump tried to get rid of DACA, he tried to rush it through without following proper procedure. This one was done with proper procedure. So let them have it. Let them have what they want. Let them have a wave of illegal aliens flooding the border, and then they're going to have to deal with it. Here, ultimately, the bottom line, why this is such a furic victory for Biden, because in all the polling that has come out in the week since Roe v. Wade was overruled, immigration ranks as a more important issue for swing voters. Immigration ranks as the number three issue voters are concerned about in this country, followed by crime. Immigration and crime together is a potent issue for the Republicans. And the Supreme Court just told Biden, right as a massive caravan of illegal aliens is heading to the southern border, hey, Joe, we'll give you what you want. We'll allow all of these people to flood the border just like you asked for. The Republican ads write themselves. Joe Biden, not on the plains of Askelum, but in the marble halls of the Supreme Court, found his fearic victory today. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing. And I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use. And now I've got them as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, uh, my gosh, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. Uh, more importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example, um, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial planners ready to help answer questions. Uh, you can too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to do next. You can even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto, you can also explore crypto. They've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly, they've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo-advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it, and I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SOFI.com slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member FINRA Sipic. Hello there. Don't forget, if you text DATA to 33777, you can sign up, get the daily show notes and all this stuff, particularly these breakdowns of the Supreme Court decisions, why it's the best Pride Month ever. Thank you, Supreme Court. You can get all of this stuff in the show notes. Text DATA to 33777. Okay. I don't have a lot of time here, and I got some points I need to make, and I need to answer a question uh, before, and this will, like, kill off, like, half the people on the phones, not literally, but just preempt them. 
There is a poll. I have been asked all over the place. In fact, got an email from a friend of mine in D.C. today, freaked out. I was like, what? What about the Quinnipiac poll in Georgia? Uh, the Quinnipiac poll in Georgia has uh, Raphael Warnock with a 10-point lead over Herschel Walker and has uh, Brian Kemp tied with Stacey Abrams. The Democrats in Georgia are telling the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's political reporters even they don't believe the poll, that you should add five points to the GOP. Now, here's my thing. I I think that uh, Warnock probably is ahead of Walker, but Kemp is definitely ahead of Abrams, and you can tell by the way Abrams is campaigning. She knows he's ahead of her. More importantly, though, if Kemp were tied with Abrams, it would be a better showing for him now than 2018 when he was always a point or two behind in the polls, including the Quinnipiac poll. This is actually good news, however you look at it, for uh, him, maybe not for Walker, but also with Walker. I mean, all the Democrats are saying yeah, the GOP is better organized, they got a better ground game, and they got more passion than our side right now. Give them five points in the poll. Uh, Republicans have been saying this, but, I mean, what's so interesting here is that nationally – Democrats are embracing the Quinnipiac poll, and in Georgia, every single Democrat I know and every Democrat willing to talk to the paper is saying, this is garbage poll. So just keep that in mind. The other big thing I got to talk about, we'll get back to the Supreme Court because I haven't gotten to the big case. West Virginia versus EPA has come out, the Supreme Court. Well, there's I'll put it to you this way. There's a hysterical meltdown happening right now across the nation from progressives. It was a very big case as I predicted, but in a way I didn't predict. But I just, y'all, Freddie Freeman, I don't know if y'all have heard the news. Now, this is big news for us in Georgia, but it's actually kind of big in the sports world today. Major League Baseball broke the news that uh, Freddie Freeman's agent never told him about the Braves' final offer because he knew Freddie Freeman would have taken it. Now, that's significant because I've got an agent in radio. Rush Limbaugh actually got me my agent. I have a very good agent. And my agent and Freddie's agent, they have a fiduciary responsibility. Uh, If they get an offer, they are supposed to relay it, whether they want you to take it or not. And they can tell you, don't take it, it's a bad deal. But if they get one, they got to take it. This is a breach of his agent's fiduciary duty. And, you know, the, the wicked irony here is the agent had Freddie Freeman taken the deal. The agent would have made less money, but Freddie Freeman would have made more money. Now, how's that work? Well, because the agent gets a percentage of the contract and the Braves offered Freddie Freeman less money than the Dodgers offered him. But because of the tax rate in Georgia, Freddie's take-home pay would be higher than what his take-home pay is at the Dodgers because of the tax rate in California. So Freddie Freeman would have financially come out ahead had he taken the Braves' final offer, but the agent would not have. And the agent did not relay the offer to Freddie Freeman, and he only found out about it this week in Atlanta. And apparently was so furious, he fired his agent. It's sad. Now, he's got a great deal at the Dodgers, and I don't think he's coming back to Atlanta. But when an agent does that to you, I mean, it's – it's. I, for years, refused to get an agent. I didn't think I needed one. I kind of liked being the, the, the guy who could do my own deals. I was a lawyer. I used to do this stuff for other people. 
But at this point, my life's so complicated and my radio deals are getting so complicated that I need an agent. And if you're a baseball player, you need a sports agent. But this sports agent for Freddie Freeman, I, I, I'm going to be surprised if he doesn't get blackballed uh, by the uh, Major League Baseball. It's just it is a flat-out no-no. You do not uh, refuse to give your um, the person who employs you the the contract you you don't do it you you're supposed to give him the offer you got a fiduciary duty to tell him about the offer and he apparently didn't according to uh the news sources within major league baseball and now freddie's at the dodgers and he really wanted to stay a brave hello there it is eric erickson here the phone number is 877-973-7425 if you'd like to be on the program now I want to take a phone call here. Let me go to Eddie, waiting patiently. How are you? Good, Eric. How are you? Great. Hey, I know it's not exactly relevant, but I just wanted to ask you, since you know a lot about constitutional law, and admittedly I have not read anything into the new gun bill uh, other than what I've heard on the radio so far. My question is, uh, let's say a 19-year-old earlier this year legally purchased a firearm, but now is restricted to 21 year olds. What then happens to the 19 year old or the firearm they purchased? Uh, nothing. The um, uh, way the law works, if you're 18 to 20, you have you can still buy a long arm gun, a, a rifle. Uh, you just have to go through a ex- uh, three day waiting period for background check of a juvenile record. So they didn't actually raise the age. For a rifle, the, the current age for handgun across the country is already 21. For rifles, it's 18. That's not changing under this law. You just have to go through a background check. Now, let's say you bought the gun three weeks ago. Do you now have to go through the extended background check? No, it's it's prospective, not retroactive. Um, under the Constitution, ex post facto laws, you can't write the law and then retroactively punish people who complied with what the law was then. Um, so that's not going to change. Uh, and, but from here on out, 18 to 20-year-olds, We'll have to have a juvenile records check before they can pick up the gun. Now, again, uh, we're the last day of pride. The Supreme Court, I mean, just pours out the rainbows across America with uh, its court cases these last couple of weeks. I mean, just just let's let's review. Let's review. So first of all, you have Carson versus Macon, not M A C O N, the city in Georgia where I live, Macon M A K I N. Uh, Carson versus Macon. It's a case out of Maine. And it's a case that says if a state pays for private schools, the state can't discriminate against religious schools. If you got a family sending their kid to a church-run school and the state is willing to pay for that school if it wasn't church-run, well, then they got to pay for it if it's church-run. That is a, a massive undermining of Lemon versus Kurtzman, the Lemon rule, which is the balancing act of is this uh, religious entanglement, which has forced the nation to default to secularism. Essentially, under Lemon versus Kurtzman, the way the rule wound up working is any time uh, the government could have directed money that would wind up in the hands of a religious institution, the government can't do it. And in Carson versus Macon, it's one of like three cases in the last two years where they say, yes, you can. And then this week, they followed it up with the Kennedy case. 
where they explicitly said Lemon versus Kurtzman is no longer the law of the land. We're overruling Lemon versus Kurtzman. So they have overruled Lemon versus Kurtzman officially, and they said if a if a coach wants to pray on a football field, the coach gets to pray on the football field as long as he's not forcing other people to do it with him. They, if they want to, they can, but you can't stop him from doing it. The dissent actually wants the ability for states to ban people from wearing religious garb. Like the 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 court pointed out that if the dissent had its way, a state could say you can't wear a yarmulke at work. And the dissent did not dispute that. It's a big win for religious liberty. Then there was the Dobbs case. The Dobbs versus Jackson uh, women's uh, health was about a 15-week abortion ban in Mississippi. In court, the Biden administration, the Biden administration told the Supreme Court, if you uphold this law, you have to get rid of Roe v. Wade. The Biden administration is the one who made that argument. If you uphold this law, you have to get rid of Roe v. Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood. And the, and the Supreme Court said, all right then. And they got rid of Roe v. Wade. And said, this is a state-level issue. It's not in the Constitution, therefore it goes to the states. And after 49 years, Roe v. Wade is no more. Aborted in its 183rd trimester. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, the pro-life movement, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with what they did or not, you can't not dispute this fact. It is the largest democratic movement in American history after the civil rights movement. For 49 years, pro-lifers changed elections. They they won with pro-lifers. They threw out pro-choicers. They moved the Republican Party right. They came up with an intellectual framework for uh, the pro-life cause, which developed a legal framework for the pro-life cause, which fostered the Federalist Society, which fostered pro-life judges. They then elected pro-life presidents and pro-life senates to get pro-lifers put on the Supreme Court. Over 49 years, they moved the court to where it got rid of Roe. You can dispute it. You can dislike it. You can hate it. But you cannot deny it was done within the rules of American politics. Hardball, for sure. Look at the Merrick Garland situation. But it's not like that was unique and it happened multiple times where the Senate refused to give a hearing to a Supreme Court nominee. They played by the rules and they won. And so now what is the left solution? Well, let's get rid of the filibuster. If you get rid of the filibuster to establish abortion as the law of the land, you're going to have more than half America give up on democracy itself. Because if you can play by the rules over 49 years and patiently wait and win and then have the Democrats break the rules of the Senate— well, then that just shows uh, we really don't have a democracy anymore. Uh, if, if one side's willing to break the rules to get their way, you're done. End of the republic. But Dobbs was a big case. And then, of course, you had the Bruin case. You had the Bruin case. And the Bruin case says that you cannot subjectively deny someone a carry permit. If someone wants a carry permit, you can objectively deny them one with objective standards of things they have to do to get it. 
But you can't just say, well, we'll give it to you if we want to give it to you. You can't do that because people have a right to self-defense and they have a right to a carry permit process that is objective. You know, in California, California is one of the six states affected here. California actually allows an administrative law judge to take into account your political opinions on whether or not you should get a concealed carry permit. They can't do that anymore. Big win for guns. But the biggest case of all came today, and I've spent two days on this radio program talking to you about this case because it doesn't get the attention it deserves because it's not the salacious issue of guns, religion, and abortion. It's simply about the administrative state, and reporters don't get it. But today the Supreme Court handed down probably one of the biggest decisions in the last hundred years. And that's not hyperbole, and that's not overstatement. West Virginia versus EPA. Now, ironically, the court did not do what I thought they were going to do, explicitly overrule Chevron. I don't want to rehash Chevron. Chevron is a standard for interpreting administrative law, whether or not regulations are illegal or not. What is notable is the court never mentioned it. In a case interpreting regulations, you would think it. Uh, pretty much everyone agrees Chevron is dead. They just didn't say it. They they got rid of Roe. They got rid of uh, Lemon versus Kurtzman. And they've gotten rid of Chevron. It's the only one they didn't explicitly say they were getting rid of. But literally this year, a buddy of mine who's a lawyer pointed out, neither, not a single justice on the Supreme Court this year in any uh, opinion or dissent referenced Chevron. It's pretty much dead now. What the court did is something profound. They did not do what Sam Alito wanted them to do. They did not embrace non-delegation. They didn't do that. What they did, however, is they resurrected the major powers doctrine and have now made it the binding majority precedent of the Supreme Court. What is the major powers doctrine? Well, it's a game changer. It preserves our democracy. It says, in essence, that regulators cannot regulate on a major issue unless the court itself has given them explicit power to do so. I want to read for you Neil Gorsuch and his, his concurrence in West Virginia versus EPA. Uh, it's joined by Sam Alito. To resolve today's case, the court invokes the major question. I said major powers, major questions doctrine. To resolve today's case, the court invokes the major questions doctrine. Under that doctrine's terms, administrative agencies must be able to point to clear congressional authorization when they claim the power to make decisions of vast economic and political significance. Like many parallel clear statement rules in our law, this one operates to protect fundamental constitutional guarantees. The major questions doctrine works in much the same way as other cases to protect the Constitution's separation of powers. In Article I, the people vested all federal legislative powers in Congress. As Chief Justice Marshall put it, this means that important subjects must be entirely regulated by the legislature itself, even if Congress may leave the executive to act under such general provisions to fill in the details. Doubtless, what qualifies as an important subject and what constitutes a detail may be debated. 
but no less than its rules against retroactive legislation or protecting sovereign immunity, the Constitution's rule vests federal legislative power in Congress is vital to the integrity and maintenance of the system of government ordained by the Constitution. It is vital because the framers believe that a republic, a thing of the people, would be more likely to enact just laws than a regime administered by a ruling class of largely unaccountable ministers. From time to time, some have questioned that assessment. But by vesting the lawmaking power in the people's elected representatives, the Constitution sought to ensure not only that all power would be derived from the people, but also that those entrusted with it could be kept in dependence on the people. The Constitution, too, places its trust not in the hands of a few, but in a number of hands, so that those who make our laws would better reflect the diversity of the people they represent and have an immediate dependence on and an intimate sympathy with the people. Today, some might describe the Constitution as having designed the federal lawmaking process to capture the wisdom of the masses. Admittedly, lawmaking under our Constitution can be difficult. But that's nothing particular to our time, nor any accident. The framers believed that the power to make new laws regulating private conduct was a grave one that could, if not properly checked, pose a serious threat to individual liberty. As a result, the framers deliberately sought to make lawmaking difficult by insisting that two houses of Congress must agree to any new law and that the president must concur or a legislative supermajority must override his veto. The difficulty of the design sought to serve other ends, too. By effectively requiring a broad consensus to pass legislation, the Constitution sought to ensure that any new laws would enjoy wide social acceptance, profit from input by an array of different perspectives during their consideration, and thanks to all this, prove stable over time. The need for compromise inherent in this design also sought to protect minorities by ensuring that their votes would often decide the fate of proposed legislation, allowing them to wield real power alongside the majority. The difficulty of legislating at the federal level aimed as well to preserve room for lawmaking by governments more local and more accountable than a distant federal authority and in this way allow states to serve as laboratories for novel social and economic experiments. Permitting Congress to divest its legislative power to the executive branch would dash this whole scheme. Legislation would risk becoming nothing more than the will of the current president, or worse yet, the will of unelected officials barely responsible to him. In a world like this, agencies could churn out new laws more or less at whim. Intrusion on liberty would not be difficult and rare, but easy and profuse. Stability would be lost with vast numbers of laws changing with every new presidential administration. Rather than embody a wide social consensus and input from minority voices, laws would more often bear the support only of the party currently in power. Powerful special interests, which are sometimes uniquely able to influence the agendas of administrative agencies, would flourish while others would be left to ever-shifting winds. Finally, little would remain to stop agencies from moving into areas where state authority has traditionally dominated. That would be a particularly ironic outcome, given that so many states have robust non-delegation doctrines designed to ensure democratic accountability in their own state lawmaking process. Everyone should have to read Gorsuch's concurrence. The bottom line... 
The difficulty of getting things done through Congress and Washington is a feature of our system, not a bug. And administrative agencies can't bypass those difficulties and embrace powers Congress has not explicitly given them. This completely upends the administrative state within the United States. What the EPA tried to do was regulate climate change based on a 1970s law that Congress didn't give them explicitly the power to do. And now climate change is going to have to be settled in Congress, not in the administrative agencies and not by executive power. But not just that, a host of regulations. Speaking of climate change and in the Clean Air Act, if you need clean air in your house, maybe you should consider not the Clean Air Act of the 1970s, but the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It'll actually clean up the air. It's actually an air purifier, uh, and it uses what uh, static on on uh, metal to draw in the the pollen and the bacteria and the mold and the dust. And you wipe it out on occasion. You don't need a filter, and it really works. But more importantly, from my vantage point, the way I use it is to get rid of bad odors because it eliminates them. It doesn't mask them. You can plug it in in your car, for example, with a USB cord, or plug it into your wall. Uh, it's portable. It's a little bit bigger than your hand. And you can wipe out odors. So, for example, I keep one in my suitcase if i got a rental car or someone's been smoking in it. Or I'm in a old, like, uh, when I go visit my parents, sometimes I stay in a place that's about 150 years old. It's kind of musty. I can plug in the Eden Pure. It just wipes out the most musty odors. It works. Right now, you can get three of them for less than $200. So one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your travel bag, your RV, your basement, wherever. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. You'll click through. You'll see the Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack. You'll get three of them for less than $200. You'll save $200, and you'll get free shipping. The website, again, is EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, 3, no space, ERIC, 3. And you'll get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms. Clean the air in your house. Get rid of odors with the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. Well, if the left-wing freakout over the Supreme Court was not bad enough already, just again, uh, ending Roe v. Wade telling the EPA you can't regulate uh, carbon emissions with a 1970s law. Uh, they have now agreed to take a case for next term, Moore versus Harper. The left is in an absolute panic. What this case is about is North Carolina law. The North Carolina legislature uh, did its redistricting in the North Carolina Supreme Court, which had a majority of Democrats on it, said, uh, sorry, you can't do this. It's partisan. So the North Carolina legislature is essentially suing the North Carolina Supreme Court in the United States Supreme Court and saying, hey, Supreme Court, you need to settle this. The Constitution says state legislatures get to draw the lines that means that we are the ones who decide this, something called the independent state legislature doctrine, which means that uh, if the Constitution says a state legislature does X, you can't interfere with the state legislature doing X, in this case, redistricting. And four members of the Supreme Court are on record supporting uh, the independent state legislature doctrine, Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Thomas. John Roberts doesn't embrace it. The question is, does Amy Coney Barrett? The left is in an abject panic now. Uh, they, they may not be able to use state Supreme Courts to stop Republican legislatures from redrawing uh, lines. And it's going to be a fascinating case to watch. They're already starting to freak out. 
Uh, but man, the West Virginia versus EPA case today—that's the big one. It's the biggest one in a hundred years, really. Uh, that they, the administrative agencies, are gutted in their powers. They can't do something unless Congress has clearly and explicitly said this is something you can regulate, and they haven't done that with climate change ever.